Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Right now, uh, we are joining millions of people all around the world who are celebrating Good Friday. I always think that Good Friday is a strange word to say. Uh, You know, we're getting together to celebrate somebody's death, uh, and and we call it Good Friday. And I, I think that, you know, if we were to say we went back in time and we were to show the disciples what we are celebrating right now, they might get the wrong idea about what we do. They say, how could you possibly call that good? They might be a little bit confused about that, uh, mainly because uh, the person that they loved, their Savior, uh, Jesus, their teacher, uh, was killed on this day thousands of years ago. In fact, at this very point, uh, the disciples would have been on this day, on Good Friday, they would have been lost. They would have felt like hope was gone. Their hopes died with uh, who they believed to be the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And on a day when we celebrate right now for them, this would have been a very dark day. And the reason that all of this took place and unfolded, as you already know, was that Jesus was fixing humanity's greatest problem. I'm going to pray. I'd encourage you to join me this morning as we pray not only for our church, but for millions of people and Christians all around the world who are getting together today to celebrate this very significant occasion. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for Good Friday. We thank you this morning that you're in this place and that your presence is here to touch people's lives, to transform, to heal. On this day, Good Friday, Lord, we remember everything that you have done for us. We remember the penalty that you have paid. We thank you, Jesus, that the price has been paid, that the battle is already won. We thank you, Jesus, that you push back the darkness. And God, I pray for each and every listener today in this place, That, Lord, for each of us, God, whatever's happening in our own lives, we pray this morning we would remember that the victory is here. And I pray in their personal lives that you push back that darkness. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, This doesn't seem to be working right now. Here we go. It is working. That's good news for us already. I want to read a scripture to you. Uh, It comes out of John. It's John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. And it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I always like to explain this, particularly for people that may be new to church who have absolutely no idea what we just read. If we were to take the Word, Word, and we replace it with the Word, Jesus, then the Word, Word makes sense. So, are you confused? Good. So, let's go ahead and do that. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
I'm not a huge fan of the dark, the darkness. I don't know. Do we have anybody that loves just the darkness? Okay, maybe a couple. We'll, we will pray for you after the service. You have problems. I mean, just don't want to segregate anyone, but normal people don't love the dark. Uh, you know, it's just kind of the way that it is. You know, when I was a kid, uh, I, I remember being afraid. It wasn't so much of the dark. It was more what was in the dark and what was out to get me uh, in the dark. But when you're an adult, did you know that you have to grow out of that um, to be socially accepted among your peers? So you need to no longer be afraid of the dark if you're an adult. Now, here's the thing. Um, I went and stayed at my mother and father-in-law's house uh, sometime last year. And uh, at my son, Judah, he was sleeping in the room next to us. And at some point during the night, he woke up and he came and he got me and he said, Dad, I said, yes. He said, I'm a little bit scared. I said, why? He said, there's something that's making a noise outside. And, and can you help? I thought, well, I'm not going outside. So I, I said, I'll tell you what. I said, why don't you sleep in, in this bed and I'm going to swap with you and I'll go sleep in the room that you're sleeping with. And he said, that's a great deal. So I went and I slept in his bed. And right then as I started to go to sleep, there were two possums that were fighting on the other side of the wall. Now, I've never heard the audible voice of Satan, but this... <clears throat> This is exactly what Satan would sound like if he was talking to you. Have you ever heard a possum at night? Aren't they scary? They freak me out. And I was listening to it, and I'm like, understand why you were scared now, son, you know? And so I had to get over that. Because if you've got an active imagination, then what happens is, is that you just start to invent things that are in your mind. I do that sometimes, even if we go to the beach, it's in the middle of the day, but seaweed touches my leg and I'm like, it's got me, it's got me, you know? I don't even know what it is. It's like an octopus. I feel its tentacles. It's pulling me under, you know? But I feel something and my imagination just sort of kicks in because, you know, I, don't, I can't see what's there. I can't see what's in the darkness. I'll tell you one really quick story. Um, I remember one night I was coming home from work and uh, we lived in Mount Evelyn at the time. And I parked my car and as I went towards my house, uh, the sensor light came on. And as it did, it was sort of shining through the trees and there was just, just slightly enough light to sense that there was something in front of me. So what I did is I took out my iPhone and I put on the torch and I shined it. Now, right in front of me was the largest spider web I have ever seen. Genuinely, it stretched across our entire driveway. It must have been somewhere about eight to 10 feet wide. And sitting in the middle of that spider web was an orb spider. And if you don't know what it is, they get big. It can be about the size of a small dinner plate. And it is right at my face height. And should I have not seen anything, I would have, my face would have just walked straight into that thing. And I would have done what I am going to term right now, the spiderweb dance. Now, <clears throat> 
I don't think I need to explain that. You know, when something like that gets on you, you are wriggling. You, I mean, your hands are going everywhere. There's a lot of this going on, and you're trying to like get something out of your hair because you're like, it's on me, it's got me. I think about that. I was so lucky that I had just the smallest amount of light to sense that there was something in front of me, and I had just enough light to see, but not everyone has enough light to make sense of the dark. In fact, some people just live in the darkness. And I don't think I need to tell you this morning, there is darkness that's in the world. In fact, in the last couple of weeks, I just saw news reports come in that while Christians, Coptic Christians were celebrating Palm Sunday and, and worshiping Jesus, terrorists attacked them and killed 44 of them and wounded 123 others. I listened to news reports in Syria of the Syrian government using chemical weapons on their own people, and I saw the images of children that are affected by these chemical weapons, and I don't think I need to tell anyone today that darkness is out there, it's in the world. I mean, at least that's an external darkness. It's somewhere out there, and we know that evil is out there somewhere. But that's not the only kind of darkness that you can have. In fact, you can have an internal darkness. And we're living in a day and an age where I'm meeting people all the time that are struggling with their own fears, that are struggling with insecurity, Depression seems to be increasing in our culture and society. People struggling with anxiety and just being afraid of the thoughts of other people. There is an internal darkness that can happen inside of people. I probably don't need to tell you about that. There's a spiritual darkness. When you have sin in your life, that sin separates you from God. And if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, you are separated from him and you are in the dark. You're in the dark when it comes to who he is. You're in the dark when it comes to his promises. You're in the dark when it comes to eternal life. And in fact, the Bible is so clear. It says that when Jesus came, that he found people that were just dwelling in darkness. And until the moment that Jesus came, that is exactly where you would find humanity just dwelling, living in darkness. But you should know that the reason Jesus Christ came was to call people out of darkness and into his light. The reason Jesus Christ came was to call people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The psalmist writes this, he says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's Psalm 23, a lot of people would know that, that scripture. He talks about the valley of the shadow of death, as if death is imposing and we stand in the shadow of it. Now the psalmist writes about it, and here is something that probably won't shock you this morning. All humanity stood in the valley of the shadow of death. Everyone that you know would stand in the valley of the shadow of death. Death is the curse of sin. 
death is the result of sin. And because the Bible is so clear in this and it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, guess what? You and I have some things in common this morning. You're not perfect. You've made mistakes and so have I. And apart from Jesus Christ, it says that we are all standing in the valley of the shadow of death. And you need to know this morning that that's not the way that God intended it. That is not the way that God designed it. In fact, if you go back to the beginning, it says that he created Adam and Eve to live in perfect relationship with him. But as we already know the story, it just didn't last. And from the time that Adam and Eve took the fruit, sin sin entered not only into the world, but it entered into humanity. In every subsequent generation, the problem of sin would be passed from one generation to the next. And unfortunately, it wasn't going anywhere. And it landed on you. It landed on me. Things got so bad that at one time God decided to start again. He flooded the whole world. He said, this is getting out of control. We need to bring an end to this. We need to stop this. And even though the generations of humanity started again with Noah and his family, the truth is, is that the problem of sin never really went away. Now, I like to be a little bit interactive sometimes. And it helps me. It's possibly might wake you up. I don't know. But here's what I want you to do right now. I I want you to do something with me. So I'm going to ask you right now to take a deep breath. And I just want you to hold your breath. Okay. Can you do that for me? All right. So you ready? So you ready? On on the count of three, you're going to take a deep breath and you're going to hold it. You ready for this? All right. No one's ready for it. I'm, I'm about to do it. Okay. So here we go. Ready? One, two, Three, hold your breath. Now, just keep holding it. Right now, even as you hold your breath, the truth is there are all kinds of things that are happening in the world, but those things are probably not so important to you right now. In fact, even right now, while you hold your breath, there's all kinds of things that could be happening in your own life. It's possible right now that you've got bills that need to be paid. It's possible right now that your marriage is in strife, but right now, you're not thinking about that, are you? No, you're not thinking about that because right now, your most pressing need is oxygen. And so you can breathe again. Everybody just, yeah, you can relax now. You know what? What happens is, is when you hold your breath, it kind of narrowed your focus, didn't it? And even though there could be all these kinds of issues that are going on in your life right now, when you can place your finger on your most pressing need, it kind of shuts out everything else. And death is the great narrower for humanity. Death helps us to understand and realize that that is a problem that's not going away. And every time you go to a funeral, and every time you visit somebody that's sick, and every time there's a death sentence somewhere, it puts its finger on the most pressing need of humanity. And it's one that awaits each and every one of us. For thousands of years, humanity stood in the shadow of darkness and waited. Waiting while you're in darkness is one of the most difficult things you will ever go through. And right now, it might be the dark things in your life is your marriage. And you know it's not how it should be. 
and you're just waiting for it to get better and you're hoping but you don't really know how it's going to work out. Maybe the thing that you're waiting for right now is for your depression to be lifted and while you wait, it is a difficult thing to do. It's a hard thing to go through. Maybe right now, some of you are waiting on a diagnosis and you're waiting for that to come in. I remember when I was uh, about 12 years old, I, I got sick. I had an illness. Doctors were trying to figure out what it was. I remember the doctor giving the diagnosis to my mum, who stood 15 feet away. And as I watched him give her that diagnosis, the distance, which was only about 15 feet and a few seconds to cross, felt like an eternity. Because in that moment, I didn't know what my fate was. Sometimes waiting is one of the most difficult things that you can do while you're just hoping that things could somewhere eventually get better in your life and the light would shine in your darkness. But let me tell you something this morning. If you're in darkness and you're waiting and you can't see God, please don't ever make the mistake that God can't see you. Because even though you have no idea what's around the corner and you don't know what's about to happen next, I promise you this, that God is so aware this morning of your situation. He's aware of your marriage. He knows your thought life right now. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows that you wait in darkness. He's very aware of it. In fact, the Bible says that he's closer than hands and feet. And sometimes we're not always aware of where he is, but I promise you that he is there. He hears you. Not one prayer that you pray is unheard by him. He hears every prayer. He knows where you're at. He loves you this morning. And God's people had waited thousands of years for this God to begin to answer their prayers. They waited for thousands of years for this Savior to come into the world. And prophecies would be written about this person. They said of Jesus, Zechariah's prophecy, that he would give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Isaiah's prophecy said this, the people who walked in, what did they walk in? They walked in darkness, have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has light shone. Again, he says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. There was a government that Jesus would bring. Do you think that this government that would shift and change everything on earth might have been in the disciples' minds when they met the Messiah, the one that they called their teacher? Do you think that they had connected the dots that this person that would shift and change everything, change the entire world, this great light that would shine in the darkness and rescue them from their humanity and rescue them from the problem of sin, I bet they banked everything on him. They said, here is the one. Do you know the Bible calls him Emmanuel, that he is God with us? He is literally God wrapped it. They say he's God incarnate. The word carne is, is, is translated is the, where we get the word meat from. So he is God in 
meat. He's God wrapped in flesh. And this person is the one who would rescue the world. And on Good Friday, 2,000 years ago, the disciples watched as their Savior, their Lord, the Christ, the one, the Holy One of Israel, Jesus, would be betrayed by one of his own disciples. I don't know how much Jesus is worth to you this morning, but he was worth 30 pieces of silver to Judas. And Judas would give up his teacher and he led him, he led the soldiers to Jesus' location because they did not know where to find him in the garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane after they had had their last supper. And there he would be on his hands and knees praying, sweating drops of blood. Physicians say that in the most stressful of conditions, it's possible for your capillaries to burst and for you to sweat drops of blood. And soldiers came and they took this one, the light of the world who would change everything, and they arrested him. Jesus says, at this very moment, this is your hour. This is the power of darkness. The power of of darkness. At his trial, they came and they brought him before the Sanhedrin, which is the religious board made up of Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes, and they put him on trial. And they would have people come in and give testimony to what Jesus had done. They had people that were arranged to come in to tell lies about him. The only problem was they couldn't get their story straight. So every time someone else would come in, it wouldn't match up and they're having trouble convicting this guy of the things that they're even trying to lie about. Do you know that in order to bring him before the Sanhedrin in this way, at this time, the way that the council was convened, they had to break 14 of their own laws just to make it happen and they're willing to break their own law just to put everything onto this guy. They spat on him, they struck him, they mocked him And then they banked everything on something called the oath of testimony. And when the high priest Caiaphas, he said to him, are you the Christ? He asked that question because they had found no way to convict him. And everything was banked on this question, the oath of testimony. And should Jesus at that point have said, you know what, I'm not the Messiah. At that point, they would have had to have turned him over for they had no charges that they could bring against him. But as we already have heard this morning, how can he lie and deny himself when he said, it's true, I'm the the Messiah. They said blasphemy at that point. They dragged him before Pilate. Pilate said, this man is innocent. And yet, despite the fact that he was innocent, they turned him over to be flogged. They they, They whipped him. And when I say whipped, I'm, I'm sure you already know this, and, it, and it's probably in your, in your mind, but they used something called a cat of nine tails, and on it were pieces that they would glue to the whip so that as it would strike anyone that was whipped by it, it would be embedded into their skin, and then they would rip the skin off their body. And so there is Jesus having the skin ripped off his body. They plucked out all, the, uh, all of his facial hair. They plucked out his beard. 
they took a crown of thorns and they made fun of him and they dug those crown of thorns into his skull. They dressed him in purple. The reason they did that is because purple was the sign of royalty and they made fun of him. Here is the Messiah. Here is the king. And then they made him carry the cross all the way to a place called Golgotha which is also known as the skull. I always think that's so interesting because when darkness starts to envelop people, it happens in your mind, in the place of the skull, the very place where Jesus would die. And so there they have him. And all four gospels say at one point, then he was crucified. And I don't go into any more detail than that. But then again, they didn't really need to. Because the first century readers would have known exactly what that meant. You know, if you walk into a church today or see pictures of Jesus, there he is on the cross. And he's wearing some kind of loincloth that sort of covers him, but that's, that's not how they did it. No, he was stripped, he was naked to be shamed, he was stripped. He was naked, he was shamed before people, and then in the most excruciatingly way imaginable, tortured until his death. Isaiah 52, 14 says, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. If you don't understand what that means, it's saying that he was so badly tortured, he was barely recognizable as a human. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You know, there's Jesus. The nails are going into his hands. And he lays there as they hammer them into his hands and Then they take his feet and they put one over the other and they take one nail and they put it through both feet and they lift him up on the cross to leave him there. Now most people, if they don't know, they think that somebody like that, surely they die because of their wounds. But actually you can can survive with holes through your hands and through your feet. The way that people die on the cross was asphyxiation. They would suffocate. And here he would be, hanging on the cross, suffocating, holding his breath. And when you held your breath, it narrowed your focus. And the only thing that you could think about at that time is that I need another breath. And at that very moment, as he is suffocating and dying, it narrows his focus And we know what it narrowed his focus to because he says it audibly. And at a time when most of us would be thinking about what we need, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As he's suffocating, his most pressing need comes to the surface. It blocks out everything else and narrows it to the point where he says the only thing that's on his mind and with his dying breaths, he says, forgive them 
you hold your breath, you think about you. He holds his breath. He thinks about you. He thinks about what the world needs most. It needs forgiveness. It needs the grace of God. He says, Father, forgive them. And with that, he gives up his spirit and his last breath, his last thoughts. They're about you. They're about me. They're about fixing the greatest problem that the world has. How unselfish of a savior could we possibly have? And at the moment that he died, it says that darkness, darkness would cover the land and there was no solar eclipse. It's a miracle. And if you read what the Bible says, it says the sun's light just fails. And then as he dies, his disciples sit in darkness while they wait trying to make sense of everything that was happening their hopes their dream this was the Messiah how could he then be killed how could he be murdered isn't he not Emmanuel is he not God with us and now he's dead and darkness has covered the land and they sit in darkness while they wait. I think the reason John said that a light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it is because he knows that when everything in your life doesn't work out the way that you expect and you're sitting In darkness, it's easy for a moment to think that the darkness has eclipsed the light and in fact, that there is no hope, that there is no future, that there's no good days ahead of you, that this is it, this is your moment, it's over. It's easy for you to think that. I remember thinking that before I was a Christian. The darkness was in my mind, it was in my skull. I remember having thoughts, dark things that were being spoken to me all the time. And I couldn't silence it, but I found a way. So I used to go out and drink and I would drink. You know, I didn't drink every night, but when I did it, I did a good job of it. I gave it a red hot go. And I did it because in that moment, the thoughts would momentarily cease. And I looked for other ways to silence the darkness. Any I could find to silence it in my head. And in that process, as I'm looking to silence the darkness, I become a Christian. But you know what the the crazy part is, is that for me, the, the darkness didn't end when I became a Christian and gave my life to Him. I remember being in the middle of that dark season of my life and moving to America for just three months, just a very short period of time. And I would uh, go and I worked at the ski resorts. I worked as a lift operator. And as part of my job, I would have to go sit in this little hut that would be at the very top of the ski run to help the skiers get off and and go down the slopes and so forth and I would always hate that job I hated it and they say Ben you're on the roster to go sit up and watch the skiers and help them to get off and I always hated that I looked for every way to get out of it because I knew that as soon as I did that I would be left alone with the darkness that was in my mind and I remember sitting there in that place and my only ray of Sunshine was actually this really terrible radio and this pretty average Christian radio station, but it was something. I put it on and turn it up to try to silence 
the darkness. But it didn't work. And I remember thinking so much, standing in the shadow of death. I know that sounds outrageous, but when, when you've been had here, it doesn't need to make sense. And so I sat there and I remember finding pieces of paper and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm standing in the shadow of death. I should just make a will just in case anything should happen to me. I started to think about what I would give away. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm like early 20s. I had nothing to give away, but, but, but it didn't matter. The point was, was that I started trying to divide up any assets that I felt I had because I was in the shadow of death to the point where I felt I should do this because that's what people do when they stand in the shadow of death. They don't think necessarily clearly. They don't see everything straight when you feel like darkness is looming and standing over you. And as the disciples waited, I bet you that's how they felt. As darkness covered the land, trying to make sense of the darkness, not being able to see everything that was in it. But you should know while you wait, that when you wait with Jesus, Crucifixion is just a precursor for resurrection. It's just the thing that happens before, which is the event necessary for the world's greatest victory. And you should know that sometimes what looks like failure is actually a precursor for your victory. But right now, you might not even know because you're in the dark. And in you, when you're in the dark, you don't know what's about to happen next. You don't know what God is about to do. I didn't know what God was about to do. I didn't know that one day I would be sitting in my bedroom, flicking through the Bible, looking for some light to change my life. And that I would be reading the book of James. And in the last chapter, I have a moment, an encounter with God. And in a moment, He breaks me. And in a moment, all my darkness is lifted. Everything that was keeping me trapped in my mind would be changed. And from that moment, I've been changed ever since. Never felt like the darkness would ever envelop me. Get excited. Because, oh, you don't know. You don't know that God is about to lift your darkness. You don't know that God is about to lift your depression. You don't know that. You didn't know that when you came in here today that God has the power to do that, to lift you out of your situation, to lift you out of your circumstances, to heal you in your situation. You didn't know that this morning that you would walk into this place and walk out of this place healed. You didn't know that. But get excited because He has the power over darkness. The reason Jesus came was to call people out of darkness and into light. And if you're here today and you're new to church and you don't understand any of this, I wonder, I wonder if you even knew that today God would forgive you of all of your sins, the greatest darkness that can ever envelop anyone. And today he stands with his arms wide and says, I will forgive you. I don't know if you knew that today. I don't know if you understood that today or if you're just in this place right now and suddenly it comes to you that God would forgive you. It's the point. It's the whole point of the gospel. It's the reason why Jesus came. 
He came and stepped out of light into darkness to defeat the darkness, to bring life and light to men, to bring hope and peace to your soul, to bring the forgiveness of sin. He went to the cross so that you didn't have to. The Bible says in John 3.16, God so loved the world. And I don't know if you're here today and you think, I don't know if God could love me. He doesn't even know where I am right now. I promise you this. He loves you. He loved you when you were at your darkness. Darkest. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that it was when we were in the midst of our sin, when we were as sinful as we could get, it was at that moment that he stepped out and gave his life. The Bible says... John 3.16, for God so loved the world. You are so loved. I don't know if you understand that today. You are so loved. When Jesus died on the cross, he stood there with arms wide open saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. With his dying breath, he was thinking of you. He was thinking of me. He was thinking of salvation for humanity. He was thinking that grace from God would be poured out and lavished upon people that desperately needed it. He was thinking of you, the Bible says. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and that whosoever should believe in him will never perish but have eternal life. It says that he never sent his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world would be saved by him. It says that those that are not stand of him, they stand in condemnation. Condemnation is the valley of the shadow of death. That's what condemnation is. And you should know something that if you're in the dark today, I've met so many Christians that get saved but never get free. They give their life to Jesus but still live in darkness. If you stand in condemnation today, you should know that the reason that Jesus came was to push back the darkness, to defeat the works of the enemy. And he didn't didn't do it halfway. I'm telling you right now, it's done. It's done. It's done. It's finished. It's completed. It was completed on the cross. There's nothing you need to do this morning. Religion says do. Jesus says it's done. It's finished. It's over. It's completed. You don't need to pay the penalty for your sins. You don't even need to stand in condemnation, which is the guilt of your sin. It's the guilt of your shame. It wrecks lives. It ruins lives. But you don't need to do that. And now Jesus stands and he calls out to you and he says, come out of the darkness. Come out of the darkness and step into the light. Step into life. Step into hope. Step into peace. Step into joy. The things that have been eluding you. Oh, you didn't know that today on this day that He would deliver them to you. Give it to you. Hand it over to you. And there's not a thing you need to do about it. Not one thing. It's done. It's finished. And He has the power to do it. Because He is the light and He shines in the darkness and He has not been overcome by it. Why don't you give God a shout of praise? Come on. trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.